Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 461 of the JV Club with my absolutely sublime guest, Bridget Todd. My new hero, uh, my new favorite person. I know you're going to love this episode. Bridget is so spectacular and so inspiring and just so great. I did a lot of gushing over how great she is on this episode. I want you to prepare yourselves for it, but I also want you to know you're going to be nodding along with all of my praise you're going to enjoy it. So check it out. Hope everybody's doing well. And I'll talk to you next week. I am loving the, uh, I can't tell if it's a dress or if it's just a top, but it's a dress. I love a ruffle. I love a ruffle. Thank Those you. are great uh, straps. Thank you. It's the nap dress. It's so comfortable. Okay. All right. I'm obsessed. Uh, I mean, you're, see, you're comfortable and you're wearing something <laughs> that actually also is very cute. And I am fully in like the cliche zoom, like full on sweat jacket. <laughs> just going with the hoodie. Talk about comfy. I love it. Just very, very plain. And I think maybe a little bit of food on it. I think maybe a little food. Let's not lie to ourselves. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say there's food on this. It's just a little extra, de- <laughs> extra decoration. <laughs> just shows I'm living my life. I'm living my best life and eating food. Exactly. And eating food is important. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> That's a good sort of, I mean, it, listen, it's so kind of surface level on one on in one way, but also very practical in these life and times of pandemics where you sort of do have to figure out like, what is the what is a thing I can put on that looks like I made an effort, but is also supremely comfortable and I can just slug around in and do a bunch of Zoom calls if I need to, right? I mean, that's a that's kind of a thing now. That's a thing we have to think about. Definitely. See, I always opt for something that has like some sort of embellishment on the shoulder. So oh, like so when I'm smart. in a Zoom box, it's like, oh, this person made an effort, but you have no idea what's going totally. on, at, you know, below the shoulders. It's great. It's great. You know what? Maybe I could just do like some, I'll bedazzle the t- just the shoulders of this hoodie and I'm going to be golden. <laughs> I, I feel like I've done that too with, if I have to do any kind of an event where I feel like I need to show that I made an effort, but you can't see my whole face, I find myself like really going over the top in eye makeup in a way that I never did before. Like it's all got to sit right here. It's got to be all the zhuzh and zazz has to be right in these two little quarter shaped holes. That's all people get. Yeah, you're showing up for like a casual work Zoom done up like Cleopatra. (laughs) I hate to say yes, but basically... Basically, yes. But I'm also the person who would go into a Mac store and I'm absolutely the person who's like, please make me look like what you're you, everything that's going on right now with like blue here, pink here, the Bowie fucking, you know, lightning bolt. Like, I want all of that. It's fabulous. It's fab. Why not? If you have to put makeup on, make it art. be something that, you know, have it be something that you feel great about and just illuminates your inner beauty. You know, I absolutely agree. I just started watching Euphoria and I don't know, I don't know if you watch that oh, show, but girl. Their eye makeup. No, no, no. <laughs> their makeup is so killer. Yes. It's insane. It's absolutely, yes, I absolutely think that. Every time Jewel shows up in season one, I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I want all of this. Rhinestones, the whole thing. <sighs> yeah. And then you have Zendaya, who obviously is playing uh, a, a bit of a tomboy slash if I'm this high, there's no way I'm go- <laughs> going to you know put an effort in it. And is still just a drop dead gorgeous like creature from heaven yes. it's insane oh uh, well i'm glad you've got on board uh the euphoria train i only jumped onto it um last year and was like oh my god because it's one of those shows that hurts to watch because it's so poignant and it's it just even if you weren't a drug addict or you know a kid sort of in the extremes of what some of those kids are going through there's a through line, that thread that we all experience as teenagers where you're just like, oh, this is crushing my soul, but in the best way, like, I can't look away. I get it, you know? It is hard. And watching Euphoria, I mean, I wasn't having experiences like the Euphoria teens, but watching it reminds me how everything was so heightened when you were young. Like, every experience felt like it was on 10, on 100 all the time. That's definitely something I remember from, from my youth. 
Which is amazing because the fact that they could make those things actually be as high stakes as we only felt like they were and that we could still relate to it. Like nobody was like, I definitely wasn't like beating anyone up or like, I don't know, almost hitting someone with my car. I feel like a lot goes down in season one, not to mention what I've seen so far of season two. But um, but it's true. I mean, where, where were you a teenager, Bridget? Where did you grow up? I grew up in a very small town called Midlothian, Virginia. It's right outside of Richmond, Virginia. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's, love Richmond. Yeah, it's a it's a nice little city. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Donnie Darko, fun fact: I uh, have. Middlesex, Virginia, where Donnie is growing up, that was based on my town of Midlothian, Virginia. So that gives okay. you a sense of what it was like for me. <laughs> it, it absolutely does. And I'm going to trot out two things. One of which I have said on the podcast before. The other, I'm just saying a thing that we all have said a million times. But as a creature from the American Southwest. Everything in Virginia and the surrounding areas that have the most stuffy British names, <laughs> like colonization, it's such a different experience. Everything I feel like everything in the Southwest, and this is certainly true across the United States, but you're not going to get really any of that in the Southwest. You will just get the names of tribes who were, uh, you know, all but eliminated right. and Spanish names from other conquests and stuff. And uh, but yeah, we don't have anything like Middlesex or Mid- I mean, Midlothian is that's really something. If you told me that Midlothian was like the name of a, a species in Star Trek, I'd be like, ah, the Midlothians. Yes, we've struck a peace accord with them many centuries ago. Yeah, I my parents, so I grew up on a street that was Christian, called Christendom. And I remember driving Lord. there with a friend and he was like, I feel like we're going back in time to like Middle yes. Earth or something. Totally. Well, too, I mean, did you have the same kind of Civil War stuff that was just, again, that to me, that's the other thing I was going to say is... I, like when I started working in Georgia all the time many many years ago, that was my first real introduction to, oh my God, like Confederate soldier graves. This is nuts, just not something I was exposed to at all as a young person. So everything was in the abstract when you're learning history, and being in Richmond, especially in the Virginia area, is just talk about traveling back in time. It's so different. I think was that your experience? I mean, to have. That's what you knew. So obviously you didn't have my experience in Tucson, but it's just you're confronting that stuff in such a more immediate way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I it's funny. It's you're exactly right. It's something that I never really thought about until I moved away. I live in D.C. now. And so, you know, a little bit removed. But, you know, when I was growing up every year when I was in elementary school, we had a a school wide holiday called Civil War Day where all the kids would dress up as either Union or Confederate soldiers and then do a little, like, oh. march on our on our, like, Whoa. school lawn. And, you know, it, it was such a big part of our, my education growing up. Like, I feel like I was taught, and obviously this is all kinds of effed up, but I was taught in school that... Well, it's good to talk about. Exactly. I mean, yeah. we were taught that the Civil War was not, was a states' rights issue. Like, the fact of, like, slavery was almost an afterthought. And oh, we God. were taught that, you know, I mean, it's pretty clear that the South lost. We were oh, taught sort of like, oh, who's to say who won or lost? You know, what? the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle. Like, would I, I tell Whoa. you that there is a vibe that, like, the South maybe did not lose in Virginia. Like that is that is not a that is a yeah. Yeah, like, that's not like a given thing. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, we driving oh, to school every day. We would go down Monument Avenue, where it used to have just like sure. monuments of the Confederacy. And I honestly never thought twice about it until I moved. I never even questioned if that was like a cool thing or not. Yeah. Well, that's such a good I mean, that is one of the things I love talking about on this podcast, too, is just the the reality of being a young person and accepting what you are handed. You ex- I mean, even the most extraordinary among us, the people who go on to advocate for huge social change and who are wanting to reach those young people at an earlier age than you and I were when, you know, we started to kind of go, huh, wait, now hold on. Or maybe you even have those moments once in a while, but there's just sort of glazed over by whatever the kind of adult culture around you is having you focus on. Um, but that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's so true. It's like, hey, that's just what you were taught. So, eh, you know, it's asking a lot of kids 
to sort of navigate that on their own. Like, you don't know what question to ask because you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. And it's so funny. You know? I've been thinking so much about this of like, you know, I grew up small town, very conservative, very Southern. And I, in my, um, I guess, like neighborhood, we were sort of like one of a very small amount of Black families on our street. And so I grew up kind of feeling like, oh, I definitely knew that we, I definitely felt like an outsider just because Mm -hmm. of that. But then being in such a conservative town, like the way that I felt, I mean, I I used to stay up at night as as a youth and like, Think about how I felt almost like an alien. Like I just felt so out of place in all the like ways. Like you belonged with the Midlothians? Yes, no, I'm totally yes. <laughs> no, but No, but sure, sure. And, you know, I, like thinking about like what questions to ask. And, and I really could not mm. conceptualize a life outside of my small town. I had no sense of what that was like. And it, if it wasn't for things like the internet or like magazines that helped me sort of visualize what a life outside of my small you know, Southern town would be like, I don't know where I would be. And so I I wouldn't have even known the questions to ask of like, what is life? How are people living life in other cities and other countries? I wouldn't have even known the the questions to ask to even like put that together. Yeah, yeah. And that extended through, did you go to just like a public high school in Midlothian? So I went to an all girls Catholic high school. Uh, Shout out St. Gertrude High School. Shout out to the Gators. Um, Hey, Gators. And it's so funny because even that experience, I look back on it and I'm like, oh yeah, it was like a pretty progressive Catholic girls school. And I remember going back to that school when I when I was an adult, like just to visit and seeing all this like anti-abortion stuff all over the walls, like, like join the pro-life club. And I was like, wow, did I just completely sanitize this memory of what my school yeah. was actually like? Did you? What do you think? I think I, did. I, I, think I, I, think I did. I think I like just didn't have a framework for what was actually happening in my school um, to really like put it into the correct sort of like box in my mind of like, okay, this is anti-abortion or okay, this is like not progressive. And I just left school kind of thinking, you know, like, oh, it was a fairly progressive Catholic school. And looking back, I'm like, oh, it actually wasn't. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Well, what do you think was, what made you at the time feel like it was progressive? Did you feel like it was an environment in which you could kind of ask certain questions or that you were certain things that you guys were studying in school? Or or do you feel like I you literally have no idea where you got the idea? What, progressive? A, what a good question. I honestly feel like it was some combination of not really doing a lot of interrogation while it was happening. And then seeing things in popular culture that like, and kind of conflating that with my actual experience. And so it's like, when I look, mm. when I look back on those times, I'm like, oh, I was being educated by like, you know, the Von Trapp family or something. And and, and, and like, truly that was like not the experience. I, I don't know, it's, it's such a good question, but, and, and it's possible that maybe the ways that my school was not very progressive became more pronounced when I left. So another fun fact mm. about my school, it was an all girls school, but it is a, we have like a brother school, um, which is Benedictine. And one of our notable alumni from that school is Steve Bannon. So <laughs> Lucky duck. Lucky, lucky, lucky. So yeah, part oh of me gosh. wonders if maybe they got less, pro- maybe they were sort of like not progressive or, or anti-progressive one way or the other. And then as I left, maybe things got more kind of dialed up. That's the only thing I can really think. And was the was the kind of racial makeup of the school, was that kind of similar to the street that you lived on? You know what I mean? Or were there were there communities in which you felt like, interesting, there's more people of color here at this one activity that I do, but not at my school. But yes, at my church or yes, in my sports or whatever. Did you sort of see those numbers fluctuate? Was it consistent? So this is a great question. So my high school was actually fairly diverse. And that was like one of the reasons my parents chose it because, you know, there were there are a lot of private and religious schools in Virginia. It's like, there's, it's got they've got to have more private schools in Virginia per capita than other states. I, I don't know if that's actually <laughs> true or not, but it feels true. Um, yeah. And my parents specifically chose that school because it was more diverse. And so I was very lucky that even though my, um, you know, day to day where I lived in my in, in Midlothian was like not super diverse, at least where we lived was not. 
my school, which was in the city of Richmond proper, like in oh, okay, the city, yeah, got yeah, it. Yes. Um, was definitely a more diverse experience. And I, honestly, like that was something that really, so I guess when I think back to why I remember my high school education as being like progressive and inclusive, that actually might be part of it just because it was like yes. very diverse. Well, two and two, just what you said. I mean, I, I guess I don't know about where your middle school and elementary schools were, but if you are a growing young woman and you have the opportunity to be going to school and it is in Richmond, Richmond in and of itself has more flavor to it. There are certain, you know, my experience being there was like, you know, there were things about it that I was surprised by in, again, in a sort of like, oh, this is the way that segregation expresses itself in modern day Richmond, but also a lot of like, wonderful blending of cultures and you know I, I mean I really kind of fell in love with parts of it oh, I, yeah. I I look forward to going back and I say that having been there in the dead of summer and I hate heat and humidity <laughs> so if I'm walking down the street just melting and sort of like having that like inner thigh rub where I'm like I'm gonna have a rash from the amount of like sweat of my thighs rubbing together in this heat and still be like I can't wait to go back that's a pretty good sign yes I mean it is a really cool place and my parents they still live there and my brother lives there and like every time we talk they're like oh you're gonna move back you should move back and it's so funny like talking about your actual lived experience not sort of being aligned with your memory of the experience when Mm -hmm. I was when I was growing up all I knew about where I lived is that I wanted to get the fuck out I wanted to move to New York I wanted to move to LA I wanted to move to Berlin like all I wanted to do was get out and I remember feeling so isolated and feeling so out of place but I also remember Richmond had, like, I was going to punk clubs when I was in high school. I was going to, like, there was this club. I, it's it's long been closed down, but there was this club Twisters that I, like, used to, like, sneak my way into. I was seeing, like, really cool DJs and stuff. And so it's not like I... So even though I was there and my memory of it was that I hated it, I was still having these, like, hugely informative, rich cultural experiences that really made me who I am today and made helped me understand who I am but when I think back to it, like, I just remember that, that teenage longing of like, I'm going to leave this oh, town. Sure. I can't wait to get out. Um, yeah, it's so interesting how your memory of the experience and the actual like lived experience can sometimes be completely different. It's so true that the emotional life that we have, sometimes it's like running parallel to our experiences and other times it's like, so it's like, oh, I can't even see, looking back now, I can't see the actual road I was on because I was clearly on this other totally different emotional road. I want to come back to, I'm very interested in the fact that you listed three cities and one of them was Berlin. So I want to find out where you kind of got the idea of it's being a great place to live. I also want to circle back to the Richmond thing and say, you know, I'm also coming from a place of like utter like luxury, privilege, however you want to think about it and say as a white woman living in Los Angeles to say, well, I found, you know, I was in the only time I've been to Richmond was in 2019, I think. And so it was before Black Lives Matter. It was before, I mean, to a degree, uh, certainly the big groundswell. And it was before George Floyd. And it was before, you know, so there was so those conversations about Monument Avenue were sort of happening mm-hmm. undercover or like in, you know, they just it wasn't the, t- the front page news. Um, and so when all of that happened, I was so glad that I had been to Richmond and had walked those streets because I had a very different understanding of it kind of viscerally than I would from, you know, my little enclave in in L.A. And um, but it's also easy for me to say that it's easy for me to say, like, I thought the conversations that were happening around that were so thoughtful and were, you know, people's voices were being heard and the arguments that were being made and all of that, which is conflict, which Again, it's 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 very easy and luxurious to not be in the middle of that and be like, it feels like growth, everyone. Like, this is the time. Like, let's push through. Let's push through. Like, let's hear each other. And, you know, but again, it's like I'm way over here going like, oh, I love that you guys are talking about it. Like, <laughs> yes, put graffiti all over that, you know, Confederate general that you've had to stare at for lifetimes. Please. I love it. This is progressive. BLM. Yes. Like, I don't want it to seem like that. You know what I mean? Right, right. But because that's, again, like, you know, living, being in, in, in Atlanta, I would say the same thing. I'm like, oh, my God, I love the culture here. Like, 
you know, 50 percent of my coworkers are, are people of color. I worked on the game when I lived there, which is a black show. And I was the Hell only yeah. white girl there when I was there. And and I and I kind of I mean, I dug it. But again, that's coming from a place of like I say that I'd be say that to my makeup artist. And she'd be like, oh, was that? Oh, that's oh, you love Atlanta. Oh, it's perfect. That's right. We're all integrated. Everything's great. You know, And I'm like, oh, God, I'm such a fucking idiot. OK, first so, of all, shout know. out to the game because that shit is iconic. <laughs> oh, so good. I like lost my mind when I met Brandy. I was like, oh, keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. She's so sweet and wonderful. Everyone was so great. Yeah. Shout out to the game. I'm, Big shout out to the I'm game. I'm obsessed. And then they revamped it and I couldn't do it because I was doing something else. And they invited my character back. And I was like, I, I want to. Uh, yeah. But rad. Great group of people. And again, just like a great, just a great thriving city with, you know, and everything that, that, that Tyler Perry's done for this, you know, in terms of like creating his studio. I mean, I, I, I just dug it. I dug it. But again, it's very easy for me to be like, I don't know. I feel like Atlanta's really integrated. Like, it's really great. I mean, it just, you know. But I, one of the things I love about you and what you do and the voice that you have and more so not just your voice, which is wonderful, but also the fact that I feel like the second you got any kind of a platform, you were like, okay, that's enough about me. Like, I'm going to continue doing my stuff. But like, how do I foster new voices? How do I expand this platform rather than own the platform? You know what I mean? Yes. And so and I love the way that I feel like you approach things is so it's very positive. And I don't mean that in a way of like, we're not allowed to be fierce and angry when it's time to be fierce and angry, of course. But I also I just love I feel like there's so much joy in what you do and and what you're bringing to not just podcasting, but to sort of of, you know, social culture. And so you're I, I'm just so impressed by what you're up to. And I think it's it just makes it like peps me up. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. You have I like you just thank you. Like you just really articulated. This is like if I would want anyone to say anything about what I do, you just said it like, oh. you know, one of the things I sometimes people tell me that when they listen to the show, it's like, oh, it's like nice to hear these guests, but I don't really hear a lot from you. Like, what do you think? And I think the reason is just because I am so lucky to be in community with people who are really doing just amazing, inspiring stuff every day. And I, I just want to give them shine. I just want to like tell their story and amplify their voices and like, you know, I, I think they're people that that the world needs to know about. And so, you know, I I, I take that as a real, that, I feel like that's my mission. Like that was what I was put on this earth to do. And I also feel oh, that like, that. as women, as people of color, as traditionally marginalized people, so often our story is about, you know, challenges and obstacles and hardships. And that is absolutely a reality of the experience of being a woman or a person of color or a queer person or a trans person or an immigrant or anything like that. However, we also experience joy. We also experience triumph. We also experience like good things. And so I wanted to make sure that our, our stories aren't just about all of our challenges, but also about all of the joy and positivity and hope and love and laughter that go that, that makes being us, you know, us, you know, that makes up our experience. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Biz, host of One Bad Mother. Whether you're a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. I signed my stepson up for a camp that is actually in another state. I feel really stupid, and I don't think we're going to get the money back. And then he found out that the car manual is a book about cars, so now he's reading our car manual. We so join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Download One Bad Mother on MaximumFun.org, and yes, there will be swears. Were you also in this not-so-progressive, but we kind of thought it was progressive, all-girls school, were you sort of a shining light there? I mean, did you have, were your friends like, I mean, I know that you felt like, I got to get out of here, but was that what you were projecting outwardly? Or would people have said like, oh, I love Bridget. Like, she's so fun and just joyful and thoughtful. And, you know, she's, she's, she hears me. She, you know, I'm the, she's the person I call when I'm heartbroken because oh. I feel like I'm going to be heard. Like, how do you feel like you were perceived by others when you were, when you were in high school? 
school? What a good question. I was definitely a weirdo. Um, so for sure. <laughs> Love it, own it for first sh- and foremost. For sure. I'm all about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was really positive. I was, I was in a, in a student club called uh, SPAP, which stood for Spreading Positive Attitudes Among Peers. <laughs> I mean, I guess I just need one second to just take SPAP in really quick. It's like somehow the catchiest, least catchy yes. acronym I've ever heard. I love it. SPAP. It's like you feel like maybe you're saying it wrong. You're like, wait, did I get one of the letters wrong? No, it's definitely SPAP. It's definitely SPAP. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love it. Yeah. I think that does kind of encapsulate what I was like as a young person that like, I, yeah, I think I, I, I certainly got shitty grades, but I had a good attitude about it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by shitty grades? What are you saying? Like you, like you were flunking classes because you were like, spapping too much? Or yeah, I, honestly, I mean, it was. Uh, so I, I, my dad is an engineer and my mom is a doctor. However, I have no head for like science, numbers, that kind of thing. Like, if anybody ever pulled up my calculator app on my iPhone, I would die of embarrassment if they, would, if they, could, if they could see, like, the things that I just checked out on my, on my calculator. So I was, I was perpetually, like, fa- like, getting bad grades in math and science. But I just loved, like, like I loved English class. I loved uh, art classes, writing classes. Like, so my report card was often, like, good grades in anything that was like language or culture based and then like not sometimes I wouldn't even get grades I would get like you know when they're handing back the, <laughs> incomplete yeah or I would get like they would be handing back the papers and people would be like oh I got a B I got a C and mine would have no grade it would say C me <laughs> oh, you know shit is bad when, you, when you're getting a C me <laughs> uh, and were you do you well first of all do you have siblings I have an older and- brother Okay, and was and does he have any more of that aptitude that you feel like you didn't explore or oh. didn't have or don't have? Okay, so I'm so glad you asked me about this. So my older brother, uh, he is, uh, he didn't get great grades, but what he made, what he lacked in grades, he was like won every contest, was always like prom king, homecoming king, captain of this, <laughs> captain of that, and to this day, like he is like a minor celebrity in our town. Like he is a big shot attorney. He ran for public office. He's the kind of person that when we walk around the streets of Richmond together, people run out of shops to to greet him on the street. Aww. Like he is like a local celebrity, and we're we're so proud of him, dude. Like he's so cool. I love that. Um, but yeah, he was, and that was definitely the vibe when we were growing up. Like I was always Melvin's little sister, uh, not Bridget, <laughs> Melvin's little sister, and honestly, it made me proud. Like it's even today, like it makes me proud to that that to be his little sister. And I don't, I don't, well, that, yeah, yeah. That suggests to me that you guys had a good relationship and that he respected you and like looked out for you and you know that you because obviously it may have been a different situation if he were just amazing to everyone else and then he were just like the the quintessential shitty older brother to you. I mean that seems like when those are the when the comparisons have got to just be like please no if you only knew if you only knew the torture you know so and also probably I mean possibly to like I don't know I'm an only child so I'm fascinated by sibling relationships and it's always interesting because it's never it's never people try to like and I myself included we try to kind of you know put things into categories I'm like okay well the older brother younger uh, younger sister dynamic is this and the two sisters who are a little too close in age is competitive because of this and the you know what I mean and it's like you can only study so much psychology and do so many focus groups and like follow so many children through their lives before it's like, I don't know, it's almost like there's a million different variables that go into what makes a sibling dynamic what it is. But it sounds like you guys didn't have like a rough patch, you know, the way some siblings talk about and then they get closer as they grow older. Yeah, it's funny. We were at uh, getting drinks with a bunch of friends and they were all going around talking about how like, the different kind of relationships they have with their siblings. And it was like, oh, we don't really talk or we didn't talk for years and now we're getting our relationship back on track. And it made me feel so lucky and so grateful because we have a like fairly uncomplicated relationship. Like I know that he loves me and is proud of me. I am so beyond proud of him. And I guess the only thing in our relationship is that we don't really see each other a lot because he lives in Richmond and works a ton and just just became a new dad for the first time. And, you know, I'm doing my thing. And it's just one of those relationships that is so uncomplicated 
that I am really grateful for because I, I realized I was like, oh, people have really intense c competitive feelings and jealousy and all of that. And we just have none of it. Like he's such a yeah. cheerleader for me and I'm so proud of him. And it just, yeah, I, I had I not, it. I had not even considered that as something that I needed to be grateful for until that mm. moment of like, oh, wow, I really lucked out with my family relationship. Sure, <laughs> sure. Like you said, we don't we know what we know. We know, you know, we know what our relationship is. And until we see or really have a sense of something else reflected, it's like, oh, I oh, my God, this is this isn't what everyone has. I got it. Got it. Got it. Um, and so. So. OK, so he's an attorney. But it, so how were your parents about about you guys not necessarily having those same interests and aptitudes where they Ooh. like be great at what you're great at you know you're our kids we love you we're proud of you you're shaking your head oh my god <laughs> i mean my parents oh my god like so for with me constant fights about my grades like that was like the biggest thing was just like my parents really really it was very important to my parents that we excel academically and you know it was just, it was constant fighting. I remember like my grades was like my constant source of anxiety and family mm -hmm. tension. And, you know, when I went to college, my parents really wanted me to study something that was going to be practical where I would be able to get a good job. And so my dad was like, I think that you should study engineering. I, I went to engineering summer camp at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. My brother did okay. too. Like my parents were really trying to push us a certain direction. Yeah. And you know, when I went to college and double majored in uh, literature and gender studies, my, my parents weren't super thrilled about that. They're like, it's not 1969. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And I think these days, you know, my brother definitely is the one who has the sort of, quote unquote, like respectable job. Like he it's. When you're, when you're an attorney, it's like so, like his, his job is so clear. You know, my yeah. parents can like talk about his job in a way that makes sense for them. My parents to this day have no idea what I do. My parents, my, like, every day they're like, so what is it that you do again? It's, and you know what? And they'll never know. They'll never get it. And that's okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's really funny. I definitely feel like that, especially now, like year by year, more and more parents are having that experience with their kids. Like as more and more stuff becomes like content based or, you know, influencer based, whether it's, you know, from not from the like consumerist side of it, but genuinely from like what social media has brought to the table for many people or podcasting or YouTube or whatever, and in how to advance agendas and and, you know, reach people and teach people and all of that kind of stuff. It's very true that, you know, we're only getting further away from those parents of ours who are like, hmm, is it on NBC? <laughs> <laughs> like, and so, but you taught it. Didn't you teach at Howard? I or did. did you, I yeah. did. So I was teaching at Howard for a while, um, which were I they like. I know what that is. Yes. I can get on board. I'm going to tell everyone about that. Yeah. Please don't do anything that's more confusing than that. So that was the time in my life where I was like, the sliver of my adult life where I was like making my parents proud in terms of what ah. I did for a living. So at mm -hmm. that time in my life, I was teaching full time at Howard University here in D.C., which I loved. It was a, it was a job that I, you know, it was one of those jobs where I couldn't believe I got paid for it because I loved it so much. Um, yeah. And I was working on a doctorate in literature at University of Maryland College Park. And I initially, you know, thought like I will work, teach full time at Howard while I try to, you know, complete my Ph.D., I ended up dropping out of my PhD program, which like to this day, my parents are like, are you going to go back to school? Are you going to go back to school? Well, this was like 10 years ago now, right? So like, I, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I think that the window has closed, but you know, that was a time where they can look back and say like, well, she was on a track that we, you know, <laughs> that we liked for her for a little while. Yeah. yeah. Was the, what uh, was the PhD program? Was it like, look, I'm just, I'm trying to juggle too many things. And when you're getting your PhD, it has to be all or nothing kind of. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just really... Or also, you could just be like, I don't need this. Yeah, I think for me, I, you know, when I finished my undergraduate degree, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I didn't really have any prospects or plans. And so I just ended up applying to a bunch of graduate school programs, not knowing what to do. And I got yeah. accepted for, you know, those com combination master's PhD programs. I was just an undergrad when I was applying for these and I was kind of doing it on a whim. And so when I got into some of these programs and also got offered funding, I was like, well, yeah. I don't have anything else on the on the you know horizon, so I may as well do it. And truly, I just 
had no business in a PhD program. My heart wasn't in it. I didn't like it. I was by far and away the most like underperforming student in my program. I was I was in classes with people who had like Ivy League master's degrees Mm. who were really excited to come to lecture and like, you know, you know, tear your argument apart and tear your writing apart. They were all cool people, but I was just very much out of my league. And I, I was it was a time in my life where I would wake up every day sad. I would wake up every day dreading having to go into class. And, you know, I, I, people always ask me like, should I go to grad school? What should I do? And I'll just say this. I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but my life started in earnest when I dropped out of my, my grad PhD program. And it was one of the hardest decisions I ever made in my life. I remember thinking, you know, you know, I, I told you earlier how I so badly wanted to get out of my small hometown. And I thought that when I got into this PhD program, that like this was my chance to do it. And so when I dropped out, I thought I had given up on my chance of having a dynamic, exciting life, not in my small town. And so when I dropped out, I really thought like, well, I am resigning myself to, you know, a life where I will maybe get a job at an office if I'm lucky, or, you know, hmm. maybe I'll, maybe I'll be someone's, you know, I, I was applying for jobs that, and not that there's anything wrong with these kinds of jobs, but like, I had really told myself that any chance that I had to have any kind of a, a career or a passion or something that fueled my days, that like that was over. And now what I needed to do was like, try to get an administrative job somewhere. And like, that would be it. Wait, so how does the PhD program, where, what's the connection with Howard that those two things sound like they're connected? Because you love, you love teaching, but that felt like that went, did that go away at the same time that the... Yeah, so that's a great question. So when, when I was in my PhD program, I was TAing and I was teaching full-time at Howard. And, you know, when you're in a PhD program, you might do some teaching here and there, but the main thing that you're supposed to be doing is like research and writing. And so for, and so like, that's meant to be the thing that like fuels you as a grad student. But for me, I loved being in the classroom. I loved talking to students and young people and they gave me so much energy and they were just so full of life and hope and just being around them was like intoxicating. And so I was like, oh, it's actually being in the classroom that I enjoy. The research and writing, I'm like, I hate it. I really didn't like. And so the fact that, you know, the times where I was in like doing classroom instruction, being with young people, that that's what I wanted to fill my days with. That was the biggest like, like uh, warning that I should, I had no business trying to get a PhD. So you, but did you, as you, you stopped teaching at Howard as part of the not stopping the PhD program. I'm only asking because I'm just trying to make sense of the thing, because the two things existing side by side, you know, and both being in academia, mind you, it's not even that you were like, and then I would go to the roller derby. (laughs) And that's where I would really come alive. Right. Is that you still just that social interaction and the the extroversion of the academia that you were experiencing Mm -hmm. being so different from like the fusty, like, I'm living in my own head and my own very limited subject matter that I have tied myself to like a weight, you know, but if you love that job, that's why I'm trying to get to the bottom of is just like why you had to leave that and felt like this was the end of everything. Yeah. So I ended up leaving my, my PhD program at University of Maryland, staying on as a full-time lecturer at Howard for, I think, two years. But a, a weird administrative quirk of the work I was doing at Howard is that if you did not complete your PhD, then you could only be what they what they called a full-time lecturer. And so you could only okay. hold that job for I think it was seven years if you did if you were not gonna get a PhD. And so I yeah. knew that if I left my program, my job that I loved teaching at Howard yeah. had an expiration date because I wasn't yep. planning on yep. getting a PhD. And so, yeah. you know, I think I did it for about two years after dropping out of my program. And then, you know, I I basically was like, do I wanna be, you know, out of a job now or in a couple years when I no longer am able to keep this job because I'm not going to get my PhD. It, it was a really, thinking back to that, it was a hard time. Oh my God, I get it though. I mean, <laughs> the idea that you're going to continue to be punished and like know that something that is meaningful to you is eventually going to be taken from you because of this choice you're making now in the moment. I mean, that's like, I mean, I'm sure this is something that you've talked about many times or that people bring up to you all the time. But it's just as as a as a kid of two teachers, you know, 
just hearing that somebody loved their job and loved teaching and being with these young people and that someone was like, I'm sorry, but due to this box, this box, checking this box and filling out this line, you can't do that forever if you love it and you're great at it. Like, it's like, oh, no, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing that we're imposing these rules? I'm sure there's a reason for it that involves tenure or something, but it just seems really dumb because it seems like the people who are losing in that situation are the students. Oh, yeah. Obviously, as well as the teacher. But it's like, I'm sorry. Are, what about the people who are going to be leading our country and like making change in the world? They don't they can't have a teacher for four. You know, there can't be a teacher at the same place for 14 years who doesn't have their PhD. I just don't get that. I guess I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get it either. And, and again, I'm sure I'm sure there's some reason for why it exists. That is like far over my head. But, you know, I think that everybody wins when you have people in classrooms who love to teach, right? Yes. Like I, when I, my, yes. my first time t- being in front of the classroom, I was like, where has this been all my life? I, yes. after my first year of teaching, this has, this is going to sound so cheesy. Uh, Virginia has, is like really big on personalized license plates. I went out and got a personalized <laughs> license plate that said love to teach. Like I was, oh, I had my God. found my that calling. Is- Wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Well, and so obviously, even just what you're doing now, you're still having this engagement with people. You're meeting new people all the time and you're still, you know, you're still developing voices and all of that. And so I hope that you feel some of that spark, you know, whether it's inside of a classroom every day or, you know, taking all these different shapes. Um, Lord knows you deserve to have that. I mean, you had a personalized license plate. (laughs) I know it's so it's I so cheesy, it. but yeah, it's like. I know, but I love it though. It yeah, and I mean you're you're, I yeah, I feel like the kids of teachers really it's like a special thing. Like God bless teachers, like they don't get paid I enough. Know. They are doing such important work, and it's so undervalued, yeah. and they still do it's it. Weird. It's so weird. It's so weird, especially because we continue to give a message. Like, as a culture, I feel like we continue to deliver the message that they're not important. And that's what blows my mind is like, how are how do we even still have any? I feel like when there's so much there just seems such an afterthought to so much of how we handle public education, you know, private education, of course, too, but public education for everyone, um, that feeling like it's not a priority or an afterthought. And then that that sentiment sort of expanding out to teachers who work so hard and are paid so little is just sort of I just hope that you know I mean I wish it would happen a year from now but whenever I get too depressed about things that feel like they're so ingrained um, I just try to think like no in 50 years people are going to be appalled like we're appalled about things that happened 50 years ago or 100 years ago like in 100 years there's gonna be so much shit that we just feel like look we're just doing our best every day we're trying we're all trying we're all trying to grow together like I I've said this before but I one of the reasons that I feel like I'm not super self-righteous now in my life with with my choices or with my causes self-righteous and angry in the sense of like there's no room for anyone else to change or become better is because I fully expect that 100 years from now someone will point to me and be like can you believe that monster (laughs) like she didn't administer vaccines every day in India what a piece of shit like, she had a podcast. Oh, are you changing the world? That's, like, the equivalent of, like, Marie Antoinette being like, I gave everyone cake, you know? It's like, if I'm the monster in 100 years, we're good. Right, you know? right. Like, I hope things are so awesome that what I'm doing now feels like a pittance, you know? And so that's, I mean, it's a little depressing because you want to be like, no, I want to be like, the, you know, I want to be the person because we look back on things and we're like, well, I know I never would have owned slaves or I know I never would have done it. It's like, uh, of course, we all want to feel like we never, speaking of Berlin, and I want to get back to that, but like we all want to feel like we would have been the ones who were hiding Anne Frank or who were, no one wants to feel like a collaborator, of course. And and it's really, really hard to say, well, no, like all of the thousands of people I know here and now, if we just picked all of us up and put us, you know, 200 years ago, I'm sure we would all have the exact same cultural values that we do now. Yeah, I mean, I this is something that keeps me I'd up at night. I'd love that to be true, but Jesus Christ, you know, we know what we know. I don't know, man. So I'm going to be a monster in 100 years. <laughs> I'm going to be a monster. Sure, parents were teachers and she didn't become a teacher? Are you kidding me right now? 
R.I.P. No, I don't want her to R.I.P. I want her to want. I want her ghost to wander the halls of the high school. Right. Wait. So, did you ever get pressure to become a teacher with your with your teacher parents? Not really. Um. Yeah. No. My dad. Well, my dad. I think had an unfulfilled. He's a wonderful teacher, and and he definitely is a performer. He's a performative teacher, as I imagine you were too. You know, very engaging, excited. Um. Could teach the same book every year, and still seem like he just couldn't get. Like he still. My. Uh, re- I'm reading the Count of Monte. Well, I'm not reading it, but I've been having long discussions with my partner who's reading it. My dad used to teach that book. He wants to, like, talk about it with everyone. It doesn't matter. He taught it for, like, 30 years. And he's still like, I mean, when the count finally escapes from him. <laughs> you know, he just, like, he can connect in the moment and that he can keep it fresh in that way. And I think that part of him that's a performer really loved that I was, that I had those, you know, tendencies and that I was, like, kind of excited to pursue the sort of other side of that in doing theater and and stuff like that. Um, And to my mom to a lesser degree. But, yeah, I think they both were. I just had, I did have parents who were like, I don't know, what do you want to do? Um, Which is, you know, I do feel grateful for. And to your point, I didn't know how valuable that was until I was older. And I was like, pressure? Not really. Like, oh, shit, you had that. Oh, God. Yeah, you know, that's different. So, you know, but I but I don't know. Listen, by the way, in 100 years, no one will think you were a monster. So you're 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 ahead of the curve. You're definitely ahead of the curve. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We are the hosts of Fantai, the show where we have complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the things that we really, really love sometimes, but also have some problematic feelings about. Yes, we get into it all. You want to know our thoughts about Nicki Minaj and all her foolishness? We got you. You want to know our thoughts about gentrification and perhaps some positive question mark Uh aspects of gentrification we get into that too every single thursday you can check us out at maximumfun.org listen you know you want it honey so come on and get it (laughs) period I want to get into this mash game with you. I play this mash game uh, at the end of every episode. And I definitely want to start with uh, other cities that you would like to have a second home, not necessarily a vacation home. And even if you don't pick Berlin now, I'm going to use that as a segue to briefly hear what it was about Berlin that shone for you as you were including it with uh, L.A. and New York. Yes. If so, I mean, if I got if I could pick any city to, to live in, Berlin would be like high, high, high up there. Like, very, very... I'm struggling to think of another place. I've never been to... I've never been to Germany. I can't believe it, but I've never been there, so I gotta go. And I... Oh, I've only been once. Um, You should definitely go. I loved it. You will love it. It's amazing. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Uh, All right, I'm making... It's it's going to happen. I'm going to go there. Um, Okay, and you're struggling to come up with two more. Uh Oh, okay. Good luck to you. So I would say Cape Town, South Africa... Also a place I'm dying to go. Oh, my God. Like, my one of my favorite places on the planet. Um, let's see. Where else? I gotta throw... This is gonna be a little bit of a curveball. Oh, actually, I have two. J- either Joshua Tree, California, because I love Joshua Tree, or Woodstock, <laughs> New York, because I love that part of New York. I think it's so beautiful. Oh, sure. Oh, no. Let's see. Mm, how am I gonna handle this? I've got it. Wait. Well, Woodstock's small too, huh? It's pretty small. Okay, let me do this. What if we do a second category that's like, that's the quiet, slow, like thoughtful, contemplative place? Because Berlin and Cape Town, you're you're going to be out and about. <laughs> yes. Is there a third out and about place? And then our next category will sort of be like this, the more sanctuary type place that you're more of a, like a spiritual getaway. And then we can put, then I can already start out with Joshua Tree and Woodstock. Yes. Okay, this and is then actually- you need one of the wars. This is perfect how you're breaking this up. I feel like- I often feel like I have two wolves inside of me. One of them wants to go to a cosmopolitan city and party and, yes. and like rage all night. And the other wants to like sit in the mountains and like yes. drink tea and like really, you yes. know, contemplate. So this is perfect. Yes. Um, I would say Brooklyn, New York. Great. And then another contemplative city. Is that, is that what mm-hmm. I'm looking for here? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, the, the lake. Well, I guess that's also sort of, well, 
I'll, I'll count it separately. The Lake George area of New York. Lake George. Okay, wonderful. Uh, okay, next category. Let's do three people from history that we get to sort of create this time bubble where you just kind of get to spend the day or a few hours just like talking with this person. Three people that you would love to just be with and sort of experience their perspective um, for a day. Ooh, uh, living or dead or... Let's say dead. Um, we'll take this way back because then we'll do a category that's like people you would love to collaborate who are still around. Got it. So this is like more the fantasy side. Okay, got it. Uh, number one, Nina Simone. She's one of oh, my yeah. I- idols. <sighs> yeah. Uh, another one would be Shirley Chisholm. Oh, Yes. Another one would be Ida B. Wells. Nice. Ida B. Uh, Okay. And then next one. Yeah. So three people who are around now that you would love to collaborate with on something. It doesn't even, you know, could be like, yeah, you didn't know I was going to write an album with so-and-so, but I was also going to like write a novel with so-and-so. And and then I was going to, you know, totally change this initiative with so-and-so. Like it could be all different kinds of collaborations. Oh my gosh. Okay. The first one would definitely be Missy Elliott. (laughs) Also from Virginia. Hell yeah. That's right. Yep. That's right. Virginia girl. What a badass. I love her. I love her so she much. She showed up and on the scene, everyone was like, on the national scene, everyone was like, wait, what's going on right now? I know. She sounded. Who is this, who is this like amazing badass? Yes. What is happening? She's so unique and special. Like she was from a different planet, a different time, yeah. like completely yes. her own thing. I'm so obsessed yes. with her. I love her so much. Oh, brilliant. I would also say um, living icons. Ooh, um. I would say this is going to be a little bit of a deep cut, but there is a uh, director who I love, Katya Blitchfield. She created this show on HBO called High Maintenance, uh, which I'm obsessed oh, with. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, she, I interviewed her once and I was like, I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she's definitely up there. Awesome. Awesome. And then, you know, speaking of like my my fondness for places like Berlin, Somebody who was an early childhood icon of mine. Younger folks listening probably have no idea who this is. Do you remember downtown Julie Brown from MTV? Oh, hell yeah. Downtown Julie Brown? Yeah. I wanted to be her. When I was young, Like I, I remember seeing her on MTV and I was like, I, I this is like who I want my life to, to, I want my life to be her life. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. She definitely seemed like, they really found somebody who could seem like she blended seamlessly into the world of celebrity and like a world that you could never imagine being part of. Yet it felt like she also was someone you could hang out with. Exactly. Which is a which is a very cool achievement, um, especially in the early days of, you know, before like when VJs were like, oh, what are VJs? You know, Um Wonderful. Okay. Next category, let's do three movies that you can jump into and just be in. And you're just in the space, in that world. You're not reliving the plot. It's just an opportunity to kind of sink into the world and the feelings that those that those movies give you. Got it. Okay, number one, Clueless. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a favorite. It's a favorite. It stands the test of time. It, it's so good. I, it's like a movie that I have memorized. I love it. I love it. At number two, Days the Confused. Great. I'm getting some high school vibes oh, here. Yes. I'm getting so it's very true to the to the time frame. I love it. Dazed and confused. Oh, number three. Let's go with Oh, okay, I got it. Um I don't want to be involved in like the plot of this movie, but it's uh, right. but and you won't be okay, good. The talented <laughs> Mr. Ripley. <gasps> yes. Great <laughs> example of a lush, like amazing world, or as we might say, a stylish thriller. Yes. I feel like a style style I always want to be in stylish thrillers, but I don't want the tension in my stomach that the stylish thriller action is taking. Exactly. I don't want to be involved in the in the in the like Plot. I just want to be a side character, like yes, drinking coffee and listening to jazz in Italy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is why this category exists. You mwah, played it perfectly. Okay. This is a mash game. We got to get into some romance or sexy times. Three people. They could be characters, cartoons, literature, real authors, real celebrities. Any time, any period. Zero uh, uh, restrictions three and it's not you you could be a long-term companion or you could be like i mean yeah for one night i'd love to spend with this character but i get sick of him after one night night (laughs) okay it's all up to you i dig it okay number one bjork (laughs) speaking of like another missy elliott type like 
what are, how are, what is, like, I wish my brain was built the same way, not, you could never be the same way, but just built in such a way where you're like, I mean, that's not something you can cultivate. That's just, she just is who she is. She is who she is. And I love every second of it. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. Great. Bjork, love it. Uh, I would also add in Jason Momoa. Momoa. That's a cool dude right there. I love him. Ugh, I love him. I I don't even, I couldn't even tell you like a movie that he's in or like, I just know that whenever I see a picture of him, I like stop. If he's on television, I'm like, oh, Jason Momoa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's your browsing crush. Correct. (laughs) Correct. I just happened upon him and then I just had to stare at him for a while. Uh, Great. Bjork, Momoa, all for it. What's your third? Oh, um, Dana Scully from the X-Files. Oh my God. Yes, indeed. Also, just Jillian Anderson. I mean, I don't know if you've caught her on anything current that she does because, you know, all she's doing all that the kind of British stuff. But like, such a, a sex education is so a show good. I absolutely love. And she is so sexy and so wonderful. Like, come live with me in your beautiful kimono. Yes, she's incredible. <laughs> she's incredible. I also was just reading a thing. Um, I think it was the Gina Davis Institute put out a study that some like like maybe like 65% of women who work in like technical or stem fields were inspired specifically by the character of Dana Scully oh, which I, I love. love that <laughs> Gina Davis by the way and the Gina Davis Institute go you go i mean love her. she's a badass she's a badass okay uh last two categories this category will be three skills that you would love to have uh, and just be brilliant at tomorrow um if and so it could be something you already do but you just want to take it to the next level or it could be like i have no aptitude for x but give make me a genius in it Ooh, three. this is so good okay one i would love to be able to be a proficient dj yeah i love that um, I would love to be a more, I do, a, I do it sometimes, but I get nervous every time above a better public speaker. Uh, I, I'm so hard to imagine that you, okay, but great. You are on the inside of your brain, so you know how you feel about it. <laughs> I but. mean, I do it and I think it goes fine, but every time I have to speak in front of a big audience in my head, I'm like, it's going to be awful. You're going to embarrass yourself and I have to kind of talk yeah. myself out of it. So yeah, like, if I could... we're going to skip you straight to the exuberation mm-hmm. of it being of you being amazing at it as you are. Okay, I love it. All right, what's number three? Uh, number three, I would love to be a really good driver. I know that's kind of a weird one, but I don't really drive a lot. And whenever I do drive, I'm like, oh God, hope I don't hit anything. And then when yeah. when I'm with my partner who is a takes driving very seriously, I'm just like, wow, you really just know what you're doing behind the wheel. <laughs> Listen, I know a lot of people that I wish they would list driving as their skill. They wish they could be better at, and they definitely would never think that they needed to. So I'm all, I applaud it. I respect it. I salute it. Um, Okay, final category. This is my, this is where I start to put the pressure on myself. Final category. Let's do, I mean, how do you feel about like, Either sort of being able to see a, a, a moment in time, either to sort of resolve a, a mystery or to sort of bear witness to something easy or hard, but just to sort of have ex- have seen it and experienced it to know what it would feel like to have been there um, or just something really fun or strange. Like, I just want to see a dinosaur, but be in a safety bubble. So I'm not going to get smushed or eaten. Um, anything you would want to see or witness or be a part of or solve uh, from the past? Oh, what a good question. Oh, my God. Okay. We'll keep that category then. Anything from the past? What a good question. I would loved. Yeah, I, honestly, I would love to have been around in like prehistoric times, like see, like seeing what that like volcanoes and stuff. Like I would have yeah. loved to be around them, but in a safety Great. bubble. In a safety, but you're in a safety bubble in any of these. Yes. Nothing bad will happen to you. Um, give me two more. There are. Okay. Uh, I would say um, I would like, I would have liked to have been in a safety bubble experiencing, you know, I guess like 1960s uprisings, like political uprisings in the 60s. Um, I would have, I, yeah, I would, I'd want to be like protected and not fully involved, but just to like check it out. Yes. Oh, what's another good one? I would like to. What a good question. 
Oh, no. Well, listen, I, you know, I've been thinking because this is one of those things where I feel like so many of us are tempted to say or would say the 1920s. Um, it, but because there was such a because before World War Two, it felt like there was just something was happening with women and like there was more integration of culture and there was something that I feel like we're on the tip of. Mm. And then it everything changed. And it was like, uh, but, but weren't you kind of interested how that was going to. So and so I'm like, oh, it's so cliche. But at the same time, every time I think about it, I think about that era. I'm like, oh, it would have been so interesting to see, to get the energy, that crackling energy of like something's happening here. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Anyway, that's what I thought. And by the way, I'm not like you have to say that, but that is what it made me think of when you were talking about the 60s. Yeah, that's kind of how exactly how I feel. I I would love. It's so funny coming out of like 2020 where I was like, boy, I would sure love some, like, precedented times. I'm so sick of, like, unprecedented times. <laughs> so, <you laughs> no know. one ever says, ladies and gentlemen and everyone else, we are living in precedented times. <laughs> yes. Everyone chill out. We are in precedented times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some, something okay. else that I would love to have experienced is being on tour with one of those like crazy rock bands of the 60s or 70s where like oh, we yeah. were like stuff really got out of hand at this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably some of the folks who also were at Woodstock now that you bring it up. Oh, I'm definitely putting you on a 60s or 70s rock tour. Yes, oh, I, would, I would like that. Like, and that's when we all thought Stevie Nicks' nose was just going to fall off. Right. We just thought it was going to flop right <laughs> off her face. We're all so glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, we love the witch. We love the white witch. I love Steven her. X, I love, love her. her. Shout out. Shout out. Okay. All right. Um, give me a number between one and seven. Three. Okay. While I add up and give you your 100% guaranteed alternate universe mash life, will you please tell people where they can find the various and sundry things you are either hosting or have created or uh, or just want people to know about? Yes, uh, you can follow my podcast. There are no girls on the Internet. Uh, it's on iHeartRadio. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. We tell the story of all the amazing women, queer folks, trans folks, people of color who make our Internet and digital experiences awesome. So please check it out. Uh, you can Love it. follow me on Twitter at Bridget Marie or on Instagram at Bridget Marie in D.C. OK, great. And I am you gave me a low number. So listen, I'm speeding through this. I'm <laughs> zipping along. Uh, oh, This is very exciting. I'm loving these. I mean, I, I love all your choices. So I guess it actually would have been. I can't wait to see. Woo! Okay, let's do it. This is looking good. All right. Okay. First, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I'm so excited for you. First of all, I want you to, I just want you to know that you are a dynamo driver. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Who's the best driver you're friends with? People will ask all of your friends and they'll be like, uh, Bridget, thanks. <laughs> So a fantastic driver. I, I feel like this is going to come in handy because there's just a lot going on in this alternate MASH universe that you're occupying. For one thing, you have a beautiful home in Berlin. Ah, yes! So congrats to that. I also want to congratulate you on your beautiful, beautiful second home, in third home, I guess, in Lake, the Lake George area. <gasps> Perfect. Love it. So if you, for your more leisurely contemplative drives. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I also want to congratulate you on, um, and listen, there are probably going to be times where you're going to have to get behind the wheel because you are going on some crazy ass 60s slash 70s rock tour uh, history visits and <laughs> And shit's going to get crazy. You may be the designated driver. So again, I cannot emphasize enough how great it is that you're a great driver. I also want to congratulate you on your ability to jump into just the world, not the stressful plot of the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes. So that kind of works because, you know, you sort of get the Berlin thing going and then you're also like all these other places in Europe as well. Uh, you have some time to spend with none other than the legendary Ida B. Wells. Awesome. And I don't know how that's going to inform your collaboration with downtown Julie Brown. Yes! But you are definitely going to be making something with this icon as well. 
And all of this, I can't believe this. I forgot to do the food one. I was so wrapped up in all the places that I was going to take you to travel. I forgot to do like the one I've never missed. So this is speaking of living in unprecedented times. We're living in the unprecedented mash game of me not giving you three foods that you can have with zero ramifications. I'm throwing them all in. All of the foods. You get all of the foods. And you are going to be having these adventures. And I have to say, in like in a way, this I think I'm just excited because of what we were just talking about vis-a-vis this person. But um, I'm kind of loving the fact that you're sharing some to all of this with Dana Scully. Yes, I was hoping for her. <laughs> I love it. It is real easy to see Dana Scully walking around the streets of Berlin, I have to say. I'm I mean, sh- Bjork and Momoa for sure also. But I just love the idea of her being like, you know, there's a really great coffee place uh, around the corner from the, you know. <laughs> Your Dana Scully is so good and you sound just like her. I didn't know I had one. Did not know I had one. This is all new to me. Um, oh, my gosh. Bridget, this has been such a joy and I've been so excited about this and I just am such a fan of yours so I just want to say keep it up and I will be uh, keeping up as well with what you're up to and I hope we get a chance to do something together speaking of collaborating it'd be so fun to work on on something with you at some point I just think you're the bee's knees thank you so much for having me this has been so fun I really appreciate it yay all right everybody I will talk to you next week on the podcast The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JD Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, remember one We could save kittens from trees Or lunch on skyscrapers Bring the villains to their knees Maybe we should MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported